0: Hey family, uh, I am an alcoholic and an addict, and my problem is Marcia. And uh, today, or today, if you're here, then you've already heard. Uh, we are going to talk about sex. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you. Um, <laughs> so I've got that thong- song stuck in my head. Um, I go to a lot of meetings, a lot of meetings. I always hear in meetings whenever this topic comes up. You know, we don't talk about this enough, and and it's a really, really important topic. Um, so. Rather than continuing to add to that, um, we're going to talk about sex. Um, so I'm just going to put it out there for everyone um, to make sure that uh, you understand that we're going to be talking about all aspects uh, well, as much as we can within the time frame that we have. Um, you might hear some fun things that will make you laugh. Um, you might hear some things that are going to bring you back your, to your childhood or uh, major trauma, trauma, traumatic events that have happened. Um, so I'm going to ask you now to make sure that you are where your feet are You are where your feet are, right here, right now. We are in a safe place, right? We're doing our best to make sure that that this is a safe environment. Um, Know your triggers. Know your triggers. If you need to reach out to somebody, have them on speed dial. If you need to talk to anybody, reach out after the group. Uh, Please do not walk away from this feeling, um, any sort of of any ill feelings, or if you're feeling scared or unsafe, please make sure you reach out to somebody. I have to put that out there for everybody because usually when somebody hears sex, It's all, everybody gets shy and embarrassed and we're talking about, you know, whether or not he can get it up or whether or not she can do it, blow it right or whatever it is. There's a lot more to it than that. So I just want to make sure that I have everything covered. Um, I see you smiling, Matt. Um, (laughs) Make sure we have everything covered and uh, and that you understand you are in a safe place. So, Um, and yeah, this, uh, this, this idea came out of my head. Uh, Let's put this together and let's talk about this. Um, this is something that um, you know I, I sometimes have a challenge with, but um I've, I've just recently started going to SLA meetings, and that's uh, sex love avoidance. Um I can't remember what the other A is see how new I am to this, but um my recovery is based on learning, based on learning. And um, the people that I've asked to speak today, I've heard some pretty incredible things from them, and I want to share that with you. Um, and uh, you know me myself, me, i have I have my own things that I'm going through. Um, small example I can give you all about my bed, my bed, my bed that's three feet away from here. And um, I get scared to sleep in my bed. Uh, I've got a lot of uh, childhood issues and things like that associated with it. So I've got a beautiful bed. It's, it's expensive. It's amazing. It's, it's awesome. And I sleep here on my couch or I'm a lazy boy. Um, until I met my partner who I currently, uh, we've been dating for a while. We've known each other for a couple of years. Um, she came to visit me a few Uh, weeks ago six weeks ago and I slept in my bed and it was awesome and I'm counting down the days till she comes back (laughs) eight days eight days eight sleeps and she'll be back and I'll be able to sleep in my bed properly again Um, and not only that but I'm also sleeping in in my bed with somebody who um, I am connected with on all levels um, including sexually and it I'll tell you right now it's amazing to actually have sex with somebody you want to have sex with that is connected with you Um, it's an amazing thing it's awesome (laughs) and i never thought that before before it was just something that i had to do in order to make money to keep my addiction going um something that i had to do because that's the role that i was playing in the relationship and um i'm learning so many different things so i'm going to stop talking now um and i'm going to turn the meeting over to uh we have uh, natasha um uh and then tracy h um ma'ani and uh, different elements, different aspects they're bringing to this. And they're all from different walks of life and different points in their recovery. So I hope you enjoy it. And then we'll open it up for conversation afterwards. So Natasha, thank you very much for being here. You can take it away.
1: Hi, thank you for that um, introduction, Marsha. I'm Natasha. I'm a sex addict. I have been going to SLAA for a little less than a year now. And um, I wanted to talk a little bit about what um, sex and love addiction can be, because I think a lot of times, um, you know, most of our information comes from the media, right? Popularized media, and they always get it wrong because they want us to, take in some certain message that um, has nothing to do with the actual addictions or professions, right? Lawyers, I'm a lawyer. We don't always go to court. In fact, I never go to court and I hope I never see one (laughs) for any purpose, but on TV, they make it seem like this, like really grandiose, um, very fancy job. When a a matter of fact, most lawyers just sit in rooms and read papers and sweatpants. Um, And so, Sex addiction can be, sex and love addiction can be lots of things, but I think it comes from some of the tenets come from the core of having past relationships that have created some uh, dependencies on you or some have activated some triggers within you that cause you to act in a certain way that is just a little bit abnormal to how we should be approaching relationships and so one of these things could be loneliness, right? Having that feeling of loneliness that can only be subsided by having the presence of another person. Um, But we get lonely quite often as people, right? Many, many people who have addictions, I mean, you get lonely and then you do your addiction so you can feel something. And for people who are sex and love addicts, it's the sex part or the love part, really intense, clingy love. And they can do this with one person, or they can do this with multiple people, right? And so that's where you get this very big misconception about promiscuity. It's not present for every single sex or and love addict, right? Promiscuity is not like a guaranteed thing. And you also have not being able to just have good relationships, right? We're not just talking about sex relationships, but also friendships, good and valuable friendships. I can only speak from my perspective, of course, but as a woman, I think it's quite discouraged to have women friends, right? It's quite discouraged because from the time you are an adolescent, you are encouraged to date the opposite sex. And you haven't even figured out your sexuality really, you haven't figured out who you are, what your boundaries are, who who you would even love. And people are telling you immediately, you should be thinking about having a boyfriend. And you can even see it in family conversations from the time you're around 10 or 11, at least as a girl, people will ask you immediately, oh, do you have a crush on somebody? Do you have a boyfriend? And it's kind of really pushed on you. And so I think that perpetuates this system where women are not able to connect with each other. And then you form a lot of male connections. But those can be very transactional when you're thinking about the exchange of love, right? So you exchange sex for love sometimes in those relationships, when, especially when you don't know what your boundaries are and what you're looking for and what you're supposed to say or do in a relationship, right? You're very young. And so you can compromise yourself quite a lot And then you find that you only know how to do transactional relationships. And it becomes really hard to connect with other people genuinely. And so you might start lying and saying that things are going better than they are going in your relationships or that you don't need girlfriends, right? And we all know that that's not true. Uh, People need people. (laughs) People need people that are like them um, in order to connect with. And so I, I think that, Sex addiction can, can look and feel lots of different ways. And just like food addiction, it is something that we need, right? We need interpersonal relationships and it's unavoidable, but how can we do that in a healthy way? And so I wanna share more about me now um, and how I came into SLAA. For me, it was a really tough journey. So I had what they would deem an open relationship um, with my wife, with my, my, my spouse. And um, we had done that for a little while. And I had engaged with somebody sexually that I became obsessive about like, very, very obsessive about. And unlike other times where I, I guess I just thought, oh, I have a high sex drive and it's okay to be having sex with multiple partners many, many times a week. I didn't think anything of it, um, because it didn't, dis- I thought it didn't disturb the rest of my life. I found out that I had an obsession with this person and him and I engaged, um, I identify as bisexual, him and I, I engaged, um, in ways that are not appropriate to engage when you are in a marriage. Um, I, I did things that would not be like deemed as okay in my marriage. And um, from there I was really unable to control myself after that. And I was having a very hard time finding the value in my marriage because I felt like my marriage was standing in the way of this obsession that I had developed. Um, And so I I spent a long time battling that I have depression, and I was working on my depression with a therapist. And I I think that this situation really caused me to have severe depressive episodes, because I was having, I I wasn't able to see this person, and I wasn't able to hear from them. Um, And so it caused very, very severe, severe depressive episodes, Um, And we kind of worked through that, but the portion where I was able to control myself and my habits really never came about, right? And I was just trying to find outlets to um, get that feeling, that loneliness feeling, that void of missing the obsession, trying to take it out of me, right? Constantly. And so then I got into a place where, I was just constantly lying and cheating, and I needed to to get out of it. And so my automatic response, because I was raised Catholic, was to turn to religion. And I just thought, Jesus is gonna save me. And I started going to church, and it was one of the worst experiences. (laughs) You know, having having, uh, grown up, I grew up, and, and found out so much about myself, you know, being part of the LGBTQ community. It's hard to go to church sometimes. You have to really find something that works for you. Um, being a person of color sometimes is really hard to go to church. You have to find something that's very, very right for you. And so I had all these barriers and I was just trying out churches, like you try out shirts, just trying to see anything. I was just trying to build enough guilt to stop doing my habits. And I told my therapist this, and they said to me, why don't you try SLAA? (laughs) And I thought, oh no, I'm not an addict. I don't have any problems here. And I went on some of the websites and I listened to stories of women talking about withdrawal. And I was crying because it was exactly how I felt. And so I decided to join, I decided to join a meeting and I instantly felt so connected to the group of people that were speaking. I have never felt more genuinely seen or heard than I did at those meetings. You know, you have this really, really huge wall being removed between you and other humans where you can have this very, very honest connection and you can say, Hey, I'm fucking up badly, a lot. And I don't know what to do about it. And you have this group of people that just decides that they care about you. They just go, okay, we'll take you as you are right now. And we care about you. And I have had so many wonderful, genuine connections come out of that group that it has created more honesty in me. You know, it has created more honesty where I can be honest with myself, where I can say like, hey, I didn't do my bottom line behavior. Great. Pat on the back. But also, am I doing other behaviors that could lead to it? Yeah, I am. I'm continuing to do those things because I'm being triggered and I'm not addressing it. So you can have a win and you can have a loss. And I had a really tough week this week. So it's very hard, I think, when you have the ability to do something, right? um when you have the ability to do something but then you have to just figure out how to control yourself I think that's really hard so I was away from my wife for the week for work and I was totally alone and I had you know just by myself and I was in the place where my qualifier lives um and I thought many times that you know you have these intrusive thoughts of I'm gonna go just connect with them. I'm going to go see them. Um, and I didn't do it because I thought, oh, my goodness, somebody's going to call the police on me. <laughs> and I ha- I'm not prepared to go to jail. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have my wits about me to enter the, <laughs> the justice system. Um, but I didn't do it. But there were a few other people that um, I had been intriguing with, which is basically flirting, right? Intriguing is flirting. Flirting with, um, in order to kind of satisfy myself during that time, and I talked to my therapist before I left, and I, I deconstructed what I wanted out of the interaction versus what I was gonna get out of the interaction. You know, I, what I wanted was to feel the way my qualifier made me feel. I wanted to have this immense amount of connection and joy and feeling special with someone, and what I was going to get was sex with somebody that I'm not so attracted to, and I'm not connected to emotionally, and so before I left, I had decided that, you know, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to have sex with this person, and um, of my own volition, I said no to this person. I said, no, we're not going to meet up, And then I didn't for an entire week, no matter how triggered I felt or how much time I had on my hands. I just decided to use it constructively and do something else. I said, distract, distract, distract. what can you do? Just distract yourself, literally anything. Just uh, organize papers, fold your clothes, go downstairs and and socialize with people, call people that you haven't connected with in a long while, just text everybody that you know, and see who text messages back. And in doing that, during that time, um, somebody from SLAA reached out to me and said, Hey, how are you doing? We miss you because I've been traveling so much. I haven't been able to attend my regular meeting. And it meant so much to me. It was exactly what I needed. And I could be honest with that person and say out loud, I'm not doing good and this is really hard, but I don't wanna do it and I don't wanna keep doing it. And so even though I did some behaviors that are not on my top line there, I didn't do my bottom line, you know, and I stuck to it. And I think that coming out of that week successful is the first time ever in like a couple years where I was able to like stand my ground and say, No, I'm in charge and I am in control of my life and I'm not gonna just let all of these intrusive thoughts take over and push me to do things that I regret that are not good for me and don't serve me in any way. I was able to do that and I walked out feeling successful and then I was able to travel and see my wife and have a connection with somebody who loves me and sees me I just had to wait a little while and I don't have to do it with other people because I have this amazing person who loves me so much and even with all of these issues around sex and love that I have they're there for me and I think that that is very rare This very rare thing to find Um, and so I'm really grateful this week for having meetings I'm grateful this week for having connections with people who are strangers, who just care about me, who let me be myself, who let me be authentic, who helped me create less space in my marriage between me and my wife, because I get to be genuine. I genuinely went away. I did not do my bottom line behavior. And when I saw my wife, I had a genuine connection with her because I didn't have my addiction ruling my life this week. So I'm very, very grateful um, to have SLAW. And I think that in terms of, for people who maybe don't identify as sex and love addicts, I think that sometimes we don't realize how much sex and love are occurring in our lives in negative ways, right? Having negative relationships you may have had, had sexual assault or molestation in your past. Um, those things leak into your interpersonal relationships today. The, the language that you get and the messaging that you get about how you're supposed to live your life. Um, and this especially is true for me, homophobia, right? Like, light, light homophobia is what I'll call it, where it's not straight up, I hate gay people, but it's just a little bit of, oh, well, you know, if you have the choice because you're bisexual, why don't you choose to be with in a heterosexual relationship, you know? Or could, could you make your gay relationship look more heterosexual for acceptance purposes? Or can, can we define your same sex relationship as male and female in some way based on your gender expression? Because it makes us more comfortable. And all of that is like very light homophobia that seeps into your mind and ruins can ruin your interpersonal relationships because it can cause you to not connect genuinely with people that you would have a really good companionship with because you're afraid that you, you would look to the outside world as though you're in a same-sex relationship. So what if you emotionally connect with the same-sex person? Have your emotional connection. Fill your bucket. Why not? it serves you. Uh, But we have all of these things in society that that stop us from doing that. And um, I think those are different ways in which sex and love addiction can enter into all of our lives and us not notice it. Um, It's quite insidious. And we don't get to address it a lot because it's very taboo to talk about sex and to talk about inadequacies in sex or over hypersexualization of yourself or others. Um, but I think exploring it at least and how it relates to your addiction it can be really helpful, right. And so it's helping me also explore other parts of my life um, and, and also making sure I have more balance and moderation in other places, right? If I can do it here, then maybe I can do it other places. Um, so I think that's my time. And I appreciate um, everybody listening to me and allowing me in this meeting. I do have to jump in a little bit, um, like a couple minutes, because again, I'm traveling, but I really, really appreciate your time and energy. And thank you.
2: Thank you so much, Natasha. Well, that was absolutely wonderful. You almost had me in tears. You're so right. Everything you said. Oh my gosh. My name's Tracy, and I'm a woman in recovery. I have I have a disease of alcoholism. Not alcoholism, alcoholism. It's always gonna be there. So for me, um I spoke at a meeting and Marcia's like, Oh my gosh, can you talk? Can you talk here? I don't think I have anything great, but I will tell you what works for me. So I can tell you that um, I had a baby when I was 16 and my mother forced me to get married to the, to um, the father. And I was back to the house two weeks later because I hated it. I hated being married and he always wanted sex. she said, what do you expect? He's a teenager. He was, he was 17. And, um, so for me, sex uh, between and and also she said you know wouldn't last a year. So I stayed married out of spite for six years, and for six years I hated sex. He had sex; I was just the vehicle that he that he laid on. And I finally left him, and I met someone else. And in the beginning, it was like really nice and staring into each others' eyes and all this, and made me feel good inside, like uh, almost scared of these feelings. I never had these feelings before. And things went along pretty great after that. But what happened is he, um, developed, um, alcoholism. He was addicted to drugs. He stayed out more nights than he came home. I, I stayed with him for 14 years. And the reason I did that is because, um, you know, we were married and I, um, I really wanted to believe that, you know, through thick and thin that you would, you know, could work this out. And, um, you know, he, he didn't come home and everything like that. But when he came home on a Coke high and an alcohol high, I don't know which one was higher. He always wanted to have sex. And, you know, <clears throat> over the course of the years, um, I found it just easier to pretend that um, I was enjoying it. So he would just pass out. He never got off. He couldn't perform. He was drugged up. He was, you know, out, he had alcohol on board. So, um, but that 14 years had me feeling like um, I, like so unworthy, like my body didn't matter to anybody but me. Um, and even then I was just so ashamed of like staying in a relationship and being treated like a, a blow-up doll, pretty much, you know? Um, anyway, he died, um, in a car accident and, um, that was the worst part of my life because I had to tell, um, by this time I had five kids, um, I had to tell the five-year-old and 11-year-old that their dad died. That was the hardest thing in my entire life, um, was having to do that. So moving forward, you know, being so unworthy and, um, guys didn't approach me and, and, um, I had a, I had a guy friend um, tell me that guys don't approach you because you're too much work. I'm like, I don't know what that means. He's, you, and I don't know what that means. And they said, because you just have this aura around you that you expect a lot and like, you're not easy if he only knew. <laughs> so anyway, um, so i I met this gentleman and um, he was the first person who ever paid, paid attention to me. And I was in a relationship with him for five to six years. And the reason I stayed and I learned about this in my fourth step, my motives, because he paid for things. I was twice married, five kids. Who wants that? Who wants that? I was told that, you know, I'm never going to find anybody. So um, he was also another one that, um, you know, when when guys wake up with a hard on and they expect if it's hard, it's my job. It's my job to take care of it. And that's what I got out of that relationship was that's my job, whether I wanted to or not, you know, he was always wanting to try kinky things. I, I went along a few times, but it just wasn't my bag. Um, and, um, what he did do though, is he arranged a group date rape, um, for me and, um, my, I wasn't a drinker back then in any of this stuff. And, um, um, You know, we had, we had dinner and I um, left the table with um, my, the wine that was sitting there and I came back and they said, just finish your wine and we'll go. And I'm like, I'm all set. You know, I never finished my wine and he goes, well, just go finish it. And um, so I did. And um, I don't remember a lot of the night, but I do remember that I, my, my, I opened my eyes. I looked up from what I was doing and I had this moment of clarity and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? What is going on? And, and it's this other couple. And I can't, I can't, I was blown away. I grabbed clothes and I put them on. I don't know whose they were. I drove home. Don't remember driving home. Don't remember any of that. And um, I went into my house and I went to bed, I guess, because that's where I woke up. And my boyfriend was next to me in my bed, in my house. Don't even know how he got there. And um, he says, you know how much I fucking love you? And I didn't know what to do. And I knew I was drugged. And I felt weird. And I had never done drugs. And um, I was an ER nurse in a community where uh, we—I knew like the all the police around the area. Very small area. I worked in Lawrence, and the Stadies would come in because, um, you know, when we had gang violence, they would always come in. I did not feel safe enough to go get tested and do a rape kit or do anything because it's a small community and i was afraid of having to tell my story and and go to court and well he was my boyfriend you went there willingly and i i can just see where this is going so i kept my mouth shut and didn't say anything so after that you know i um and because i didn't really have the experience of dating or anything during all these years you know i had these three men and I, I dropped out of high school and I had the baby and I didn't go to college till later. So I just missed a lot of these informative years. So all of a sudden, I don't know what happened to me. I went fucking nuts. Every time I went out somewhere, alcohol was involved. I would if a guy looked at me and bought me a drink, I would take him home or he would take me home and I would fuck him. And you know what? I don't even know why. Um, I've left my sister at the restaurant I left my friends at the restaurant but what I did do is I had them take out their ID my we took a picture of it just to be on the safe side in case nobody found me the next day Um, we rarely went to my house I had two kids left at home the others were off Um, they were older and um, so I did that a couple times other times I went to their place I had no idea where it was you know and it was like this um, this needing to feel like this connection of intimacy it's like Um, I needed my vagina filled and I don't even know why, because I'd been missing something for so long. And of course I, I saw when Sally met Harry and, you know, I'm liking, oh my gosh, if she can fake that in a restaurant where, how come I can't have that in the bedroom or wherever in the car, you know? So um, I literally went nuts and, and it wasn't even like, and although it was It was a brief time that I felt that connection. Like I felt wanted, like somebody wants me, you know, and, um, and then it was over for them. Then I was just like, okay, thank you very much. And either I would leave or I say, you got to go. And, you know, do you want my number? Um, no, no, I know where to find you at the bar if I, if I need you. So there was a lot of one night stands. Some of the people I knew from my, from before some people, you know, in the neighborhood, not in the neighborhood, but through my life or, um, and some people I didn't even know. And, and that's, that's, I went, I went nuts like that for six months. I can't even tell you, I drove out in a rainy night at 12 o'clock at night to have sex with somebody in their car. And, um, it was just all about me. I just kept this, I was missing something and I just needed that, that closeness, that attention, whatever it was. Um, so, that went on. And I just said, you know, this is after that driving in the rain at midnight, I just said, you know what, I'm done with this. Um, You know, I want, I want a partner for life. I was 46 at the time I want a partner. Um, I want to get married, you know? And um, so what I did is I went online and um, I met my husband and um, (laughs) I had a long list of what I wanted in a man what I wanted. And the list was long and I put it out there. And each man I talked to, I said, can I read you my list? Some of them were like, oh my gosh. And I said, well, you should be asking me these same questions if you're looking for a wife, you know? And one of my things was, uh, was what I said was, uh, I, well, I asked about finances. You know, if you're in your forties, you don't have retirement or something, you know, no, thank you. You know, Have if you have not no um like been married had kids or taking care of a sick relative you don't know what sacrifice is i had kids and i had two boyfriends who would just stalk me and be pissed if i said you know what i'm not going to see you this weekend i'm going to spend time with my kids what do you mean they said you know so that was really important to me that somebody who knew about sacrifice and um you know somebody who was active and somebody who enjoyed sex and somebody who made sure um, that their partner was having as, as much enjoyment as they were. And I think I used different words, but it was along those lines. And um, one thing I made clear is that I don't own the hard-on. And I will not, never own someone else's hard-on. You know, being in bed with a man who turns over in the morning with a hard-on and thinks it's my job to take care of it, I was done with that. I was so done. So, um, and I had, you had to have good teeth. You have good, you know, you see the doctor, you take care of yourself. And so my husband, um, at the time we, um, he thought it was hysterical and we talked on the phone for six or seven weeks. And the first night we met because, um, we weren't scheduled to meet, but I said, yeah, come, come over and we'll leave. And we'll just go out somewhere. So he came over, my girls were out for the night and, um, And I knew the minute he walked up my steps that I was going to marry him. And he said the same thing later on. It was was amazing. So don't you know, we're on the back porch, we're making out. And one of my daughters comes in and we're like, oh, so we left because I needed to take him for a ride because I will never, ever, ever get married again. I said, without having sex first, I need to know what's down there. I need to know how he performs. I need to know shit, you know? So we got this hotel, and of course, I felt like crap because he used to eat at the restaurant all the time. <laughs> and we got a room for the night, and it was magic. And, you know, at first I'm thinking, oh, this is just new. This is just new, the magic, you know, all that stuff. But <laughs> the, you just, what did it for me, and Marcia knows this, we had sex all night long, and the next morning, he still went down on me. Who does that? Nothing, nobody I know. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so it was just oh my gosh, it was magic. And I thought, okay, we'll see where this goes because really, that's probably it, you know. And so he, you know, we kept talking, and and we would talk for hours on the phone. And then um, he called and said, "Look, let's let's have a real date, you know." We'll do. And I said, "Well, I'm busy this weekend, but you're welcome to join me." Um, I said, "So my dad's gay." Um, He died a few years ago, but I said my dad's visiting and so we're going to this gay bar in Methuen, Norm's Whiteheart's the best food and um, three other friends, my three, three friends that are also gay, you know, because they call me the, they called me the fag hag at work. I don't know why, but anyway, I don't think that was nice, but so he said no problem. So don't you know, he shows up at the restaurant in a black and white wool checkered flannel shirt. Lord have mercy. My dad wears the same shirt. <laughs> so it was, it was great. It was really, really good. And, um, and so, but that night we met though, when I had, he had, I had my list of requirements and the thing he said to me, he, uh, right before he came over that first night, he said, um, you know, I do have something to tell you. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, what is it? Cause I'm looking, I'm shaking. And he says, um, I'm missing some fingers and toes. I said, Okay, are you in pain? He said, No, I said, but your teeth are good. That's really all I care about. So he is absolutely amazing. And, um, you know, he's been with me through thick and thin he he was married to the woman who didn't drink the woman who became an alcoholic in a very short period of time. And he didn't even know half what I did or, or anything because um, he just didn't know so he knows now, that's the one thing I love about Zoom. He heard my whole story. He heard everything. And so, um, and then, uh, so, so he. one of the things though is um, what I've learned about um, in my fourth and also about just in general is, you know, I was missing that physical experience and connection of the bodies. Um, I, I read somewhere that, that uh, sex is the definition of um, admiring the flesh of two, of the two souls of each other. And we have that. I, I am like so, I'm so lucky, I'm so blessed um, that I have this man in my life. And, you know, one of the big things that we talked about before we got married uh, 15 years ago was um, sex between two people is whatever you want it to be. You both have to be comfortable. But what I, what I said is that, you know, um, it's like it can be anything, but communication is key. He is the first man that I've actually been, I've actually said to him, um, you know, where to touch me, how to do it. And if you're not doing it right, back away, because I will do it myself. And that's the other thing I learned. I learned how to masturbate during all these years because I couldn't get a man to get me off. And I thought, I think it was more like in me. I mean, I could put Meg Ryan to shame when I'm alone, let me tell you. And and the most in one sitting, get this, one sitting, 21 orgasms by myself. Thank you very much. No sex toys, no nothing. Although I did used to use cucumbers because if you put a cucumber in the microwave for 20 seconds It it acts like what you want it to act like, you know, lube it up a little bit, bam, two hands, you're fine. One here, one there. We're good to go. I'm telling you. And um, I honestly did because I, when I, um, I had kids in school and in college, I can't afford batteries for toys. So I bought vegetables, you know, and that worked. Um, Happily married today, but I still masturbate. Just because you're married doesn't mean that you're just like, oh, I can only have an orgasm if my husband's here. Well, I'm home all day and I'm an afternoon girl. So there are some afternoons that I just can't wait. I mean, I did call him one time, Stephen, why don't you come home early because I'm ready. And he he laughed and he said he couldn't leave work. I said, okay, I'll I'll start and finish without you then. (laughs) And that was the day he came home, 21 orgasm. Most of the time I can have like six, seven or eight. And when we're together, I can still have six, seven or eight. And bam, 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 you know, but that's because we have communication. That's because I tell him exactly what I want, how I want it. And he does the same to me. And this man who wakes up with the heart on every morning at the age of 65, hello, (laughs) it's my birthday. (laughs) Um, I can choose whether I want to do something about that or not. And I got to tell you, I love this man more than anything in the world. And there are many mornings I take care of him because I'm up at two or three or four in the morning. My day's half over by the time he gets up at seven or six. And I'm already, my mind's already going. I don't have time for this, but I'll, I'll help you out right there, bud. I got you covered. <laughs> and so, um, one of the things that my friends, um, um, asked me, um, uh, what, well, what we talk about is I highly encourage men and women. If you think you're serious about someone take them for a ride, go have sex. I don't know about you, but for me, if I get surprised after I'm deep mentally and emotionally, and I see something that I can't live with, then, um, or, or they don't know how to perform, they don't what to do with it. I, I don't know what I would do. So my thing is, if, if sex, I, even my daughters, take them for a ride, don't get married, take them for a ride, don't even get serious. You've got to find out what the sex is like. Then everyone says, well, sex isn't everything. Yeah, they also say money isn't everything either, but guess what? <laughs> if you have both, you're in good hands literally (laughs) all right I'm Tracy I think my time is up so um thank you very much and you all have a great day
3: oh my god thank you so so much Tracy you had me laughing so hard um my name is Maani and I'm an alcoholic uh I have notes on my phone uh so I can like remember what I want to say. I don't know how I'm going to follow that up, but I'll try my best. Um, So I wanted to do the, what it was like, what happened and what it was like now, um, or what's it like now. So when I was younger and like, I started to learn about sex, I was like, oh my God, I'm actually like, I think I might be like too ugly for this. Like, I don't think anyone would be ever attracted to me. For some reason, I think I just got that message from like, the media and whatnot. I just thought that like, you know, and it's just like the way we grow up, like my body wasn't right. Everything was awkward. My skin wasn't the perfect condition, like all of these things. And so, but I did really, really, really want to feel like I was beautiful and I was the center of someone's world. Like it wasn't so much the pleasure that was interesting to me. It was just that someone had their eyes on me and they could like witness me as a beautiful person and they wanted me that's the only thing I really desired so as I grew up and I realized I'm gay and whatnot I my I grew up Muslim so like I was like oh my god well I first of all I can't do this I can't do the relationship part because like the world's not gonna allow it and my body isn't where it needs to be. I'm not good enough for this. So I am just going to do the thing that society wants me to do. I'm just going to be the perfect specimen of like a good girl, a good, attractive girl. And I don't care what my personality is. I don't care what I want. I don't care like about anything like that. I just want to feel wanted. So I started drinking a lot. And I started trying to find sex without any intimacy, without any relationship at all. And I was like, this is what it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be this like perfect specimen of a girl. Basically. Yeah. Like a blow up doll, you know? And so, and a blow up doll doesn't have any thoughts or opinions. She just lies there and like takes it, you know? So I, basically I couldn't, conceptualize the idea of a relationship so every time someone I would hook up with somebody and they wanted to talk to me more they wanted to like have a relationship I would just like start gagging and I'd have so much anxiety that I physically felt like nauseous like I couldn't breathe and I started drinking even more and so I'd end up like sloppy drunk on these dates and like just horrible horrible dates just like me barely awake trying to make sure that the person feels like I'm the hottest girl in the world, like lying about orgasms, lying about how good this is or, and making sure that they know that they're the most beautiful person in the world. And like, it was always what they wanted and how I felt. And that was the basis of my life for a lot of years. And then, and then I got, sober. And the thing about dating at that time is that I kept meeting like really wonderful people. Like I kept meeting like the most interesting women, the most like philosophical (laughs) and like romantic and loving people. And I could never be in a relationship with them. I couldn't bring myself to do that because well, I'm, I'm like unworthy. I'm not ready. I'm, I am emotionally destroyed by life right now. And so I'm just a shell of a person in this room with you and i was just not present at all and so and i kept wondering like why isn't my body like responding in like i'm not having orgasms of course i'm not enjoying it physically like i'm completely disconnecting from my mind when i'm doing this and so i'm like well why can't i actually have an orgasm with somebody who is a wonderful person i trust them and i didn't understand what that meant so i was like okay i guess i'm just the kind of person who can only you know, make myself come. Like, that's, that's what I thought. Like, I could never have a relationship where I could enjoy the sex and the relationship at the same time. So I got sober. And when I was six months sober, I got into a relationship. And the only reason I believe that I like I had a little crush on this person, but it wasn't like a big overpowering love. But then they came to me and they're like, I, I am so, I'm so into you, I, I like you so much. And they told me they loved me after the first week of dating. And I was like, oh my gosh, this person really wants me. They really wanna be around me. Like they must really like me as, as a person, as who I am. When I'm only six months sober, I barely know who I was sober at that point. I don't know how they would have loved me if I didn't even know who I was at that time, you know? So I was like, yeah, sure. We'll get into a relationship blowing past all of the guidelines about you should wait till you're a year sober until you like actually like get in a relationship. I'm like, no, I'm going to do it now. Everyone in the like room at the time was like, no, you guys are going to be great together. It's going to be fine. Which I don't understand why like the red flags didn't ping off in my head at the time. I just thought, oh, I'm emotionally intelligent. So I'm ready, you know? And so I get into this relationship and I started to like, feel like itchy at night. Like every time we would go to sleep out, I, I couldn't sleep. Like I just, I kept having like itches all over my body. And I was like, I don't know why I feel like my skin is crawling. And like, we would just be hanging around the house and like, they would like slap my ass and like while I'm doing dishes or taking out the trash and I'm feeling resentful because I don't really like how they don't contribute to the house and I'm feeling angry because of last week or this week's problems and then they would slap my ass and I'm just like "Ugh, that's not even hot right now and and I just my skin would keep crawling and the I talked to my sister about it and she's like, well, anxiety can kind of do that to you. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. Like I'm a perfect girlfriend. I do everything right. I, I make sure that they're happy. I clean the house. I cook dinner. Like why is my body reacting to the situation when I'm doing everything I can? And I just started to realize that like, context, like I started to read books about sex because I was like, I don't understand what sex is at all. Like I never got talked to about like what it's supposed to be like, like Tracy, you were saying you teach your daughters about like, like jump on it before you get married. It's like exactly that. Like I was never taught to jump on it. Like I never was taught to enjoy or figure out what your body is telling you before you start a relationship. And I, yeah, so I, basically was my body was reacting to the context of the situation. She was like, this girl is not it. This relationship is not it. I'm not here for you right now. You're crawling because I don't feel comfortable within myself. And my mind was denying the way my body was feeling. And she, and she was like, no, this is fine. Everything's fine. And, and it was just like, never, I didn't believe I was worthy of demanding the kind of sex and relationship that I wanted. And I, in this book, I was started to read about how, um the problem is with a lot of women is that, uh, some people want sex. they can you can come home in the middle of like a work day and drop your pants and you're ready for a bing bang boom, like hot monkey sex, you know? But like some people need the candles. they need the date. They need the like, to turn down the lights, they need everything to be quiet. They need the house to be clean, to the kids to put to bed. You know, like you need to reduce the stress to the point where you can feel like, oh, there's nothing that's going to be on my mind that's going to stop me from fe- having a good time. And I didn't understand that distinction at all. I thought that everyone could have TV sex where you can just like throw each other up against the wall every single time. And everyone's going to come in two seconds, you know? And like, that's just not how it was at all. I, like, I, I definitely need the trust. If we had a fight that day, I'm not going to be present. I'm not going to enjoy it. It's not going to be fun for me. And I, and I can ask for that. I can tell the person, I don't want to do this today. I need a plan. I need to shave. I don't want hot, dirty bathroom sex. Like when I was drunk, you know, like that's gross to me now and my body's not happy and she's yelling at me. And so I, yeah. And I didn't realize that I was worthy of asking that of A partner and I didn't realize that I could say no to those things and I think that's where I was really struggling with with before in sobriety and now after in sobriety and so I was like wow so now all my thoughts are clear I have no like I have no no barriers the only thing in this room right now is me, my mind and my body in this person that I don't like, you know? And it's like a, it's like a highlighter on the situation. I know the problem now. It's not the fact that I'm drinking or the fact that I'm too ugly. It's literally the fact that I just don't feel comfortable. I don't, the context of the situation is not good. And so now what well, I don't have sex, <laughs> I don't, because I don't want to allow someone into my Bubble into my life until I feel like I have built a, an intimacy and a trust in the relationship enough to say no and to tell them what I want. Like some people, when you tell them, like, oh, like, I don't like it like this, I like it like that, they get super offended. Like the ego is all built up and like, oh, I can make you come. Like that's their, like, that's how they know it's good sex and what's bad sex is if everyone's orgasming in the thir- first like 30 seconds, you know? And I just don't care anymore about that. Like I want a good time, whether or not like there's like a finish line. Like I want to feel special, just cuddling. And I just want to feel the intimacy and I want to feel the pleasure. And I want to feel the holding hands and the and the cakes and the desserts. Like I want all of that without the expectation that I have to finish, reach this finish line by the end of the night, you know? And so I realized that I am not gonna allow anyone into this presence, into my bubble, into my life intimately until I can feel secure in saying no to those things and saying no to the person who's just there, like just there because they want to have a good time or take a good picture to send to their family and like take a, like we look good together and that's why we should be together kind of relationship, you know? And so, I still struggle myself with acknowledging that um, foreplay starts Foreplay starts at the last, when you finish sex. So like, if you have sex and that night you guys finish around eight, foreplay starts the minute you finish until the next time you have sex. So everything you do is build up. It's not flapping your ass in the middle of the kitchen, but it's like holding your hand and telling you I'm here for you and I've got you and I'm holding you and I'm going to take care of you emotionally, mentally, physically, you know, that's the kind of foreplay that I want. And then the the really, you know, hot and heavy stuff that will just be like a, an added benefit to all the foreplay that we've had emotionally over the last week, you know? And so that's like the most clarifying fact for me is that like, I don't have like, as long as I'm taking care of myself, like sexually, like I'm masturbating, I figure out what I like. Um, If you are using a cucumber, I would recommend using a condom because girl, you don't know where that cucumber has been. (laughs) But like, (laughs) like, uh, but for real, like, I think that like, as long as I'm taking care of myself emotionally, physically, like, using the right toys and vibrators and using like ethical porn then I don't need a person to come into my life until I can trust them intimately until I can trust the way that they handle rejection until I can trust the way that they talk to me until we can talk about sex together without immediately having sex and until we can like like if I can't talk to you about the way I like to have sex before we do and if that conversation is awkward and clumsy and like such a stressful situation where they're like oh so am I not good at it like am I not good at sex for you and you're like no it's just like a it's just like a a cute little direction like it's not like a, a big deal that like you can't do it like that or this or that if I can't talk to you in an open and loving way and it's a fun conversation then it's not it's not fun for me. It's not worth it for me. It's it's just going to ruin the time for me. If I I don't want to be in a present in a room with someone who is not yeah, completely welcoming to that to those facts and those conversations. So, yeah, I I think I respect myself and I respect love and intimacy much more now. If you guys need books, to recommend i have like three that i think are amazing and i think men need to read them or masculine centered people need to read them so that we're like pushing this information out there about how to have sex in an ethical emotionally validating way so that's all i got i hope i could wrap it up i'll pass it to Marsha now thank you everybody
0: awesome thank you so much ma'ani and uh, and natasha and tracy that was absolutely amazing and um uh, I, uh, I thank you so much, and uh, I, I look forward to hearing um, a lot more. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much.